And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome back to the show this morning. It is, of course, Thursday as we get ready to go into the second best day of the week. That's right. Tomorrow's the weekend. Right around the corner. Just getting there. Every day a little bit closer. Of course, it's been just hot in uh, Texas. <laughs> this heat wave is already coming in. And this is just, by the way, just if you're if you're from California or New York and you've moved to Texas re recently and... You know, we appreciate you being here. It's great. Just understand that where we are right now in the cycle is we're in the preheat mode for, for Texas. So, you know, it's going to get hotter as we get to the summer. But, yeah, it's already starting to heat up here. Energy prices continue to go up. Electricity costs going up. This is all the inflation problem that we talk about that consumers deal with. Of course, uh, we've hit record gas prices now for the last 30 days. So out of the last 31 days, we've had record gas prices, 30 of 31 days. Today's a new record for gas prices, inching very close to that $5 a gallon national average. So now, depending on where you live, now average is, is the average, right? So in some states like Texas, so we'll pri gas price a little bit lower. Other states like California, you're paying a whole lot for a gallon of gas. So again, kind of going up everywhere. But even the cost of charging an electric Tesla is now going up as well as electricity costs are on the rise. So you're not getting away from it no matter where you go. And I thought it was interesting. The White House still, still trying to claim that record gas prices are a Putin tax. This really has very little to do with that in general. There's some part of that that is true, but there's a lot of other problems and factors that are going into the rise in gas prices, and that's been primarily a, a contraction of leases available, making it harder to drill uh, for oil companies and domestically to increase oil production. And of course, the shutdown of, of the pipelines, etc. Those have all been the contributing factors to crimping the supply of oil that we have. And again, remember just a couple of years ago, we were a net exporter of oil. We had too much oil. We're exporting oil because we need we have that excess capacity. Now, this is the problem with not having enough. So again, you know, it's not just Putin. Sure, Putin and, and the uh, Russia-Ukraine evasions having some impact on oil prices, certainly not helping by any stretch of the imagination, but there's more to this story than just blaming this on Russia. High, high, high inflationary issues not a function of Russia at all. That's all that monetary policy that we did a couple of years ago, increasing demand at a time where you have no supply. That's increasing the inflation run. We'll talk more about that this morning because apparently as we started, we touched on this yesterday a little bit. We'll get into it more with Michael Leibowitz this morning, but Janet Yellen, uh, apparently our Treasury Secretary has either forgotten basic economics or is just stupid. One of the two. Uh, we'll get into that this morning. But uh, turning back to the markets here, yesterday markets uh, really traded lower yesterday. And I thought this was interesting, and this is also something Mike and I will talk about a bit this morning. Uh, the market sold off yesterday, kind of opened up a little bit yesterday morning, and they kind of really uh, fell about 1% by the end of the day. On comments from the SEC, now this is Gary Gensler, he's the chair of SEC, and he was at a speech yesterday talking about making the retail trading space, right? He, needs, he wants to make the market a fair place for investors. 
And I think that's a wonderful idea. Now, the likelihood of this actually occurring is slim and none because, A, remember that Secretary Gary Gensler is, or Chairman, Secretary, uh, Chairman Gary Gensler is a political appointee as the head of the SEC. But, um, and so when it comes time to get reelected, of course, Wall Street contributes a lot to political campaigns. A big chunk of the political campaigns that, that they get their money from comes from Wall Street. So if, if Gary Gensler wants to keep his job, this probably won't happen. But he's talking about moving trading to an auction, a real-life auction for these major firms. And this would have really significant impacts. We're going to get into to what those are this morning and what that means, uh, particularly for companies like Robinhood, who depend on payment for order flow. So we'll talk about that this morning and why that means that commissions will likely come back. And more importantly, why that's probably a good thing. So we'll get into that this morning with Michael Leibowitz as well. Um, so a couple of things to get into today, but what we're gonna, uh, you know, over the last day or so, and it's been a really interesting last week or so, uh, really going back to last Monday, the markets have literally gone nowhere. Um, and we've just been trading in a very, very tight range here between the 50-day moving average and the 20-day moving average, just a very, very tight level. And, you know, you're up one day, you're down one day, you're up one day, you're down one day. And we're not, we're literally not going anywhere for the last two weeks. So this started last Monday, continuing uh, through today. Markets are going to look to open up a little bit this morning. Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies trading up as well. They've become very correlated with what goes on in the stock market. But again, just really stuck here. Uh, haven't been really able to make a move in either direction. And the problem with this, as we talked about yesterday, we touched on this yesterday morning, is that we're eating up this fuel that we had for this rally. And if we take a look at our kind of indicators that are suggesting uh, you know, how this market advance is going, <clears throat> we're already starting to see these indicators begin to, to tighten up and suggest that we may be getting a, a point to where this, you know, kind of the, the next corrective phase will occur as well. So again, markets can do two things. They can either rise or fall, right? Or they can just consolidate sideways. And even that consolidation sideways eats up a lot of that fuel that you had for that rally. And that's an unfortunate thing here because while we had a, a decent rally at the start and relieved some of that pressure on the markets, just haven't been able to do a lot with it. And so that, that really kind of brings in some concern here, particularly with moving averages just overhead. That's beginning to press down on prices, making it harder for stocks to rise here. But again, going into next week, we've got the Federal Reserve on Wednesday going to be talking about their next policy change, which will probably be a 50 basis point rate hike. Then on Friday, we've got a massive $3.2 trillion options expiration. That can, that can really affect the markets either direction. You either have a market that's down a lot or up a lot that day, depending on how these contracts have to get rewritten and pushed out for the next cycle. Uh, again, so that's going to increase a whole lot of volatility next week. So I, I really don't expect much from the markets between today and next week, again, other than just a lot more up and down. Uh, but a lot will depend on this. Friday, we've got the CPI report tomorrow. We'll see what that says. Is that going to show us that inflation is rising again? Or are we going to start to continue to kind of see this kind of peak inflationary pressure coming in? You know, we've got a bit of, of, of uh, dichotomy going on. We've got rising energy prices, but that's a very small weight in the CPI index. 
but we've got home prices that are coming down. Homeowners equivalent rent make up about 25% of CPI. So once you strip out food and energy, we may see weaker inflationary pressures. We'll see. Again, it, you know, there's a lot of inputs into this, a lot of variability, but we'll see what CPI prints tomorrow. Uh, but that's also going to feed into potentially what the markets think about what the Fed will do. And this will also push back into to yields and interest rates and a whole variety of things. A lot of stuff to get into over the next week or so. But again, Mike and I will we'll touch on this uh, this morning as well. We'll come back. We'll talk about Janet Yellen and Jerome Powell, the Fed, right after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, right here on The Real Investment Show. news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hurricane season is here. And along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Back to the show this morning. It is uh, six seventeen as we get things underway here. Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning as well to talk a little bit about you know all things markets and finance, of course, as always. But I wanted to kind of kick off the segment talking a little bit about Janet Yellen yesterday. We touched on this yesterday morning, and um, actually it got me so fired up. I'm writing an article on it, but um, it was interesting. So they're questioning Janet Yellen now. If you don't know who Janet Yellen is, she is the former head. She was the former Fed chairman uh, prior to Jerome Powell. She succeeded uh, Ben Bernanke. Um, and then she was smart enough to bail out of that seat um, before we got into 2018. And Jerome Powell kind of took over the, the ship since then and has just had one kind of crisis after another on his hands. But Janet Yellen was promptly moved into the seat of sec uh, Treasury Secretary uh, by the Biden administration because uh, you know, she's a big supporter of the administration. And, um, you know, so she's been trying to defend a lot of the policies coming out of the White House and, and you know, have been talking up things like, you know, the Treasury Secretary's responsibility to get involved in climate change and a variety of other issues that have absolutely nothing to do with that job. But you know, weighing in. I Anyway, so uh, she was uh, being questioned yesterday about inflation. And 
they said, so what's the, you know, what what's what's causing all this inflation? Of course, the narrative from the White House has been this is all Russia's fault that we have an inflation. But that's really not the case, considering that we had inflation well on the rise way before Russia was even an issue this year. Uh, right. Inflation was rising back in 2021. And, you know, there's a direct correlation between, you know, the injections of five trillion dollars worth of liquidity into the financial markets and the economy and this inflationary spike. But Janet Yellen claims that, no, Biden's build back you know, better plan and, and his American rescue plan had nothing to do at all with creating this inflation. And, you know, I was just Mike, I was just sitting here. You know, thinking about it, it's like, you know, here's somebody who was the former Fed chair, supposed to be an economist, and really doesn't either remember or want to admit to the very basics of supply and demand of economics. It's quite funny how political they get when they change seats, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, you know what, she's saying what she has to say from her seat, but many economists out there on both sides of the aisle I think clearly understand that this is a fu largely a function. There is a Russia is playing a role in it, but it's largely a function of the policies of the pandemic policies in which not only did the Fed run what five trillion of liquidity, mm -hmm. but uh, the government print the government printed it all. Right. So we, you know, a lot of people like to say the Fed printed. The Fed doesn't print a thing. Right. It's the money is always lent into existence. So money starts with a loan. And the, the U.S. government borrowed five or six, I think, six trillion dollars over that one and a half, two year period, which is astronomical, even compared to astronomical deficits. <laughs> exactly. And that's your money printing abetted. You know, the 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 Treasury is the one that went into the bank with the gun. But the Fed was right out front with the car running, <laughs> helping them out every bit of the way. Yeah, it's a, that's a good analogy of that as well. And I thought it was interesting, though, you know, she's talking about. You know, this, you know, this fact that we have inflation and it's, you know, it's not the problem of of, you know, this kind of money printing that we're talking about here, you know, and, and but she goes on to make comments, you know, suggesting that, well, you know, this is, you know, and of course, you know, this was also, you know, she got thrown into the bucket with the Fed talking about transient inflation. Now it doesn't seem to be so transient anymore. So now she's backpedaling and saying, well, inflation's not transient at a time that probably we've just seen the peak of inflation within a month or two. Right. right. And, and, you know, so she's just constantly now going to be on the wrong side of this, of this trade. But, you know, the interesting thing is that from her position, right, her job is, is treasury secretary. So she's the one that's actually printing the debt. She sees what's going on with the U S debt and the U S deficit. And, and, you know, that we're running a $30 trillion, you know, um, you know, a debt problem right now that, you know, we just continue to spend more than we bring in in terms of revenues. But just a complete, as you said, though, I mean, this is kind of a political angle for her, but just a denial of what this whole kind of inherent problem is. And this is something that that existed well before, you know, Russia was a problem. And I, and I find it interesting, you know, there was an excellent chart out this morning I put on our Twitter account talking about Russia. You know, we're all upset about Russia, Ukraine. 
And we supposedly have these sanctions on Russia where we're not supposed to be buying stuff from them. But yet imports into the U.S. from Russia are strongly on the rise for the last three months. So, you know, despite the fact that we're very angry, we still need to buy stuff from them. So, you know, the imports coming in. It's not just the U.S., though. It's Denmark. It's it's most of the Eurozone countries. Their imports are just surging coming out of Russia. So I'm not so sure what the penalties are on Russia right now economically because we're still buying a lot of stuff from them. Just on things we don't need to buy. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's the case. <laughs> exactly. So, but but yeah, I do think it's I, I do think though that her stance is interesting. You know, because again, as we talk about monetary policy and as we talk about the Fed, you know, needing to hike rates and and trying to quell this inflationary pressure. Um, you know, we've got this, you know, this idea that it's all Russia. But if we can solve, the, if, but if Russia solves their problem. Ultimately, and this will, you know, whatever's going on between Russia and Ukraine, whatever the end game of this is, it's going to end eventually. And the question is when it ends, how soon does it end? And then what's the time that it takes to just kind of get things back to normal? Because, you know, we'll ease up sanctions. Oil will begin to flow again. Oil prices will come down again. But this is always that cycle we get into, Mike, where we think that things are just going to go in one direction. You know, with, you know just to, people forget that just a year ago, or so we were talking about negative oil prices. Now we're talking about oil prices that have nowhere to go but up, and people are putting out three hundred dollar barrel oil because of of the world that we're in, and that's simply just not going to happen. I mean, you're going to have a recession, you're going to have an economic crisis of some sort, and that's going to kill demand, and oil prices will come down. Right, and I, I think when you kind of look back on the last couple of years, the problem is that the government wants to manage the economy. They want to manage economic growth because it fits into their narrative. And this is true across the aisle. They all want to manage the economy. And, you know, early 2020, the economy fell off a cliff. So the government came in and they bombarded it with money and the money was spent. And we can debate that all day on whether the right thing was done or the wrong thing. And depending on where you are in that political spectrum, from libertarian to libertarian to communist, there was some role the government probably had to play there in early 20. Mm -hmm. But the government kept going and they kept going. And it was 2021. I think that was the much, late 20 and early 21. The economy was coming back as quick as it could. There were still a lot of things shut down and it wasn't going to come back fully. But maybe we should have just accepted that. That's the price we had to pay for protecting ourselves from a health perspective. And it was going on around the world. It wasn't just us. And we knew that supply lines were really problematic, especially in some of the foreign countries where we we import a lot of our goods from. But the government just kept their foot on the gas pedal because they wanted to sell the narrative that everything was back to normal. Right. Nothing was back to normal economically. Nothing was back to normal health wise. But that was the narrative. And they did it right. Despite nothing being normal, they got economic data not only back to normal, but back to 40 year type, like <laughs> record levels, right? An economy we've never seen before. And there's your inflation, right? Cool. So now, now they got to fight inflation. And how are they going to do that? They have to slow down the economy. Right. Well, and again, you know, this is, and, and of course the question becomes is, you know, how do you navigate that landing, right? It's the, and you know, the, the hope is always that the Fed will be able to kind of guide this airplane that's, you know, pointed, you know, nose down at the earth at this, at this point and say, okay, we can, we can put this back on a glide path and slow this thing down and have a nice soft landing and everything will be good. Unfortunately, it just never really kind of works out that way. 
because they're working on lagging data. And, and what we're seeing real-time data telling us is that the economy is slowing down a whole lot more than what the Fed is probably thinking it is. And this is always kind of be it's kind of always the problem is that they start doing these things, they're hiking rates, they're reducing liquidity, which all starts next week, by the way, that you know leads to that problem. Either you get something go something breaks in the credit market, the housing market collapses, you know, whatever it is. Um, and that causes this much more drastic slowdown than what people were thinking. And then they're in the problem of being caught flat footed and having to backpedal trying to fix things, but then it's too late. And I think there's zero appreciation for us, for for Lance, you and I and Brent and everyone listening to the show. We are the consumers and the consumers are at least two thirds of the economy. And I think what most economists do not appreciate, because most economists make a couple, two, three, four hundred thousand a year. Some make a lot more. They all work for the big banks on Wall Street or they're at the Federal Reserve where they they're doing very well for themselves as well. They don't appreciate the plight of the consumer, the struggle that when we're all getting pay cuts, right? right. Unless you're getting 8%, 9% raises, your pay is being cut. It may not seem like it because you got a 5 or 4% raise last year, but your pay is being cut and you're struggling. Mm -hmm. And this isn't just the lowest income classes. This is working its way up through the middle classes too, and probably even to some degree to the upper classes. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's interesting, too. One last thing here on Janet Yellen before we pop off is uh, for the break is that, you know, she said that, you know, the the you know, the uh, the money that was spent by the Biden administration didn't cause the inflation because there's inflation everywhere in the world. Um, but there's a there's a chart that's out. We put it out on Twitter yesterday showing that the inflation in the U.S. is about five times as high as it is everywhere else in the world. And it's not surprising that everywhere else in the world has inflation because we import so much stuff from other countries. Germany's like, what, a three trillion dollar economy. and We've got a 20 trillion dollar economy here in the U.S. So, yeah, if we start importing stuff from Germany because we're all buying stuff, guess what they get? They get inflation. <laughs> so... You can't make this stuff up. Uh, you really can't. Gotta love Janet Yellen, though. Every time I see her, I just think I'm going to get some cookies. <laughs> Grandma Yellen. Anyway, um, be right back after the break. Hey, we're going to shift gears, talk a little bit about Secretary, uh, uh, sorry, SEC Chairman Gary Gensler and uh, what he said about making Wall Street a fairer place and what that might mean for you. We'll be right back after the break with Mike Leibowitz. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a fiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
and welcome back to the show this morning. Michael Lee was joining me. So uh, over the last couple of days, there's been initially some rumors, and then yesterday at a speech being put off by the SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, talking about making Wall Street a fairer place. So, you know, and we have to go back here for a couple of years and, and you know, just to kind of remember kind of what brought this to a head. Of, of course, this all began, you know, a couple of years ago with the whole GameStop incident, the, the meme stock trading, Robinhood shutting down trading on some stocks because there was order flow problems, so forth and so on. Um, but, you know, part of this whole discussion that we're talking about goes back to a issue that has actually been around for quite some time. And that is this idea called payment for order flow. And we've written a couple of articles on this uh, previously. And what payment for order flow is, is, is simply this. Um, Mike has a brokerage firm. He's Robinhood as an example. And he's going to take in retail orders from retail investors. So what he does is he, he's got everybody coming in. They're all wanting to buy, you know, GameStop or Yahoo or whatever, right? So they're all wanting to buy a stock. He bundles these orders up very quickly. This is all happening in microseconds. So there's, you know, 5,000 orders coming in to buy ExxonMobil, whatever it is. He bundles that block of orders up, and he, then he sends it off to another firm like a Citadel Securities, as an example, who will then execute that trade onto the exchanges. So they go out and they buy the shares of ExxonMobil, and then they send the shares of ExxonMobil back to Mike and, and the Robinhood app, and then he allocates those shares across all the accounts. So in a matter of a few seconds, you see the shares of ExxonMobil show up in your account, and you're none the wiser. Well, what happened, though, is that when Mike sold that order flow to... Citadel, Citadel went out and executed a trade before that against that block of shares coming in, either long or short, whatever they were doing, and they, they made a profit on that. And they do that, and then they pay Mike a, 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 a payment, right, for this order that was given to them, of which they profited from. Now, they wouldn't pay Mike this, this, this fee, if they weren't making money on the other side. So something has to be happening here. Just logically, it tells you that if they're paying Mike $100 million a year, which is what Robinhood got, <laughs> if Robinhood's getting $100 million from Citadel for order flow, something has to be happening with Citadel Securities and that order for them to make a profit, right? This just makes complete sense. So this has become much more of a, a point of contention, but this payment for order flow is why you get free trades. And it's not just Robinhood doing this. It's Schwab, it's Fidelity, it's everybody. And this is why you now have free trading. But it's not free because you're not really getting best order execution. Yesterday, Robinhood was down sharply because what Gary Gensler is now talking about is in order to make this fix this problem, we need to get rid of payment for order flow. And he's right. And how would we do that? Well, we would go to an auction-based system. So in this case, Robinhood could no longer get payment for order flow. That All those orders would go into an, uh, into an, an auction, and all the other dealers would, would provide their best bid or offer to execute that trade. And whoever has the lowest price 
or the highest price, depending on whether you're buying or selling, would then get that order to trade. But at that point, there's no advantage, right? A, a firm can't front run that order because they're giving you the absolutely best price for doing that, which means a couple of things. And we'll talk about what those issues are and what that means to you here in a second. But I want to let Mike weigh in on this issue first. Mike, how are you this morning? Um, uh, good. I, I think what he's doing is outstanding. I think it's they needed to do this years ago and they haven't. And it's great. And what's been going on in the markets is very misleading. It's, you know, in most other industries, whoever regulates them would be all over them because it's 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 they're essentially false. The price you pay is not real. Mm -hmm. So so you go in to buy Exxon at market. That's how most people, most individuals buy a stock. They buy it at the market and you look up and you say, OK, Exxon's $100 a share. I'm going to buy it. Well, you end up buying it at ninety nine point ninety nine cents or one hundred and three cents or whatever it is. And you think, cool, I got it at market. And even better, I don't pay commissions anymore. I'm winning. I'm a big winner. That's <laughs> not what's going on. The, the price you pay is not really the market price. The market price was somewhere lower than that. So, yes, you're not paying a five or eight dollar commission, whatever they were, but you're paying pennies a share. And that's where that's where Citadel, for one, gets the hundred million dollars to send Robin Hood the money. Right. Citadel, by the way, is making more than a hundred million. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> they're not they're not giving they're not they're not being very generous in giving Robin Hood all they're making. So they're making. I, you know, I don't know what they make, but it's a lot more than a hundred million. Those, those are the pennies that they're taking yep. from investors. And here, and go ahead. It's not just Robinhood. It's, it's all of the brokers. And if you notice, they all went down to zero commission, and it wasn't just about keeping up with Robinhood. It was because they were making a lot of money on the order flow. Yeah. And here's what's really interesting about this. So Citadel is buying away the largest payment for order flow firm on the street. Um, they make billions every year paying for order flow. Why do they do that? Obviously, because they make billions, right? So if I, can, if I can pay for order flow and make billions, I'll do that all day long. But here's the interesting thing. In 2004, a letter from Jonathan Katz to the SEC, he states, because payment of order flow creates fundamental conflicts of interest that cannot be cured by disclosure, the commission, the SEC, should ban payment for order flow altogether. It is crucial that this ban include not only exchange-sponsored programs, but also payment for order flow arrangements entered into privately between order flow providers and market centers. Now, who does Jonathan Katz work for in 2004 that makes this such an interesting statement? He's the attorney for Citadel Securities. In 2004, Citadel Securities was a hedge fund. That's all they did. And they were arguing that payment for order flow should be banned. And when it didn't get banned, they said, well, can't beat them. Join them. And let's make a whole lot of money doing it. And, and this is the problem. They know. See, Citadel knows that payment for order flow is a predatory practice against retail investors. And, you know, as we've talked about before, free is not free. There is no free lunch on Wall Street. When you're getting something for free, you need to ask the question, who's making money off of this deal? And that's everybody else. That's Wall Street. They, that's how they make money. And they're making a lot of money doing it based on what you're trading. And so you're actually getting worse prices because of this. Now, um, 
what's the consequence? So first of all, we'll talk about the reality of this actually happening. But if we went to an auction-based market, here's going to be the change to you. Free trading will have to go away. We will have to go back to a commission-based system where you pay some commission because that's how the, the order executors, right? So when you want to place your order, somebody's going to have to pay, a, you know, somebody's going to have to pay for that order execution. That's going to be you. So you're going to have to go back to paying a commission. That's not a bad thing because, A, you're going to get better pricing on your, your, on your purchases and sales. But, B, what commissions also do is slow down trading. The one disadvantage of free trades is that it encourages people to trade because, hey, there's no, there's no cost to trade. So why not just buy it and sell it and buy it and sell it? There's no cost to it. The problem is, is that leads to overtrading, which leads to worse performance over time and causes losses for investors. And this is why we've consistently seen holding time shrink for investors because the, the cost of trading has been going down for years. But if you provide that break for the automobile, you'll actually wind up with not only better returns, but better pricing. Now, Mike, why, why is this probably never going to happen, though? Because who owns the SEC? <laughs> no, the answer is not the president. It's the people or Congress. It's the people that fund them, that get them elected. Exactly. And at the end of the day, we both know that Citadel, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, all the other big boys have bigger pockets than me and you do, Lance. Yeah, and Absolutely. <laughs> and when it comes to running for office, Republican or Democrat, independent, doesn't matter. They need money to run. And they can't afford to have those big firms on the, you know, funding yeah. the other side of their election. Well, and the, and the other side of this, too, another reason that this stuff never happens is the SEC goes to goes to Wall Street and says, hey, I want to pass this new rule. What do you think about it? And they only take the response. They don't listen to the, you know, the small retail advisors, anything like that. We don't know what we're doing. They only listen to the J.P. Morgans and the, the Bank of Americas and, and the Wells Fargo and, and get their opinion. You know, they basically talk to the Wall Street mafia um, and, and they say, well, what do you think about this rule? Well, this won't be a good rule. You know, not going to be a good rule at all. It's going to have all these problems, going to reduce liquidity in markets. Of course, they're going to argue it very eloquently with the SEC. and The SEC will back off of this. But again, right. you're right. This comes down to both political contributions. Don't forget that uh, chairman of the SEC, Gary Gensler, is a political appointee. <laughs> and if he wants to keep his job, likely uh, this will not happen. It'll be unfortunate. Um it would have been a great fix. It's a great idea. It would bring back some fairness to what we consider to be the financial markets. But again, um, it was it was fun to talk about it, though. <laughs> Be right back after the break. Uh, next week, uh, Friday, CPI. Next week, the Fed. Uh, Friday after uh, next Friday, um, we've got the massive OPEX expression. Talk about all that with Michael Leibowitz right after the break. What that means for you and your money and the markets going into next week. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hurricane season is here. And along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. 
Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show. Man, this morning has flown by, just uh, gone by quick this morning. Michael Leibowitz joining me. A couple of things uh, um, to kind of wrap up the show with this morning. Mike has an article out on our website uh, we published out yesterday morning called The Consumers Getting Squeezed. Um, it's a really good summary about where we are economically. And, and again, if you take a look at what's going on with consumer credit as a good example, $54 billion increase last month, $35 billion. This past month, consumers are just being tapped out at this point, having to go back to, you know, getting into credit card debt just to make ends meet. And look, you're going to see a lot of articles out there, and I've already seen a couple of them come out. And they're like, oh, no, the consumer's in great shape. And they show like the, um, you know, household debt to income and ratios and things like this. You can't look at those with any type of seriousness because, if you take a look at the dispersion of wealth in the economy, the top 10% of income earners skew that data so badly that it's no longer really a, a viable measure. And so we've broken this down before, looked at you know the, the bottom 80% versus the top 20%. And if you get into that bottom 80% of the economy, those are the, the people that are driving the economy because they spend about eight they, they spend virtually all their paycheck just to 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 make ends meet um, versus those at the upper end which have a lot of savings and that's what's skewing savings rates uh, disposable income so you've really got to break this stuff down into looking at strata but if you start digging into the the consumer spending data which Mike did yesterday in his article um, it's actually much more telling about where we are currently in the economy. Micah, and you know, kind of a quick breakdown here. What was the conclusion of the article? That consumers are running out of means. They don't have the means to spend. So like I said a little while ago, everyone's getting a pay cut, whether you know it or not. You may be getting a 4 or 5% raise, but you're getting dinged 8 9% on inflation. So the question is, if you want to continue the life you had before, where do you get money to fill that 4% gap or so, right? Mm -hmm. You borrow money via credit cards. And like you just said, credit card spending has shot up. Its annual growth is the highest it's been in, I think, 10 or 15 years. You draw down your savings. Savings are now down to 8 to 10-year lows. And that's not on an inflation-adjusted basis. They're actually, when you inflation-adjust it, the value of that of those aggregate savings are even much lower. So the two traditional sources of extra spending are getting whittled away. There's still more. We can still use more credit cards, but there's some people maxing out on their credit cards. There's some people that have drawn all their savings. We also used to use refinancings on our mortgages at five and a half percent. No one's refinancing a mortgage and not, you know, not unexpectedly, mm -hmm. the refi MBA refi index is at, at pretty much the lowest level it can be. So, so the point is the consumer is struggling, right? We're, we, we're paying a hundred bucks to fill up our cars now. If we go out to dinner, it's now, lunch is now 15 bucks. You know, it used to be 10 bucks and under. That money is 
is money we're not spending elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And we're making hard decisions on what we want to buy, what we have to buy. And it's just getting worse as inflation stays up at 8%. Even if inflation stops rising, it's still higher than our wages. And until wages can catch up with that, the consumer needs other means. And all the article is saying is that these other means, and including government support, because we're not going to get anything through Congress before the election. And after the election, those odds may even fall if the Republicans take the House or Senate and we get a split split House and presidency. So the consumer's really in a bind here. And just going back to point one, the consumer's 70% of the economy. So when you start thinking about the economy and you want to do your own GDP forecast, think about that lower middle income class family and what they're doing and the struggle that they're facing right now, because that's the marginal driver of the economy. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, this is the one thing that we tend to overlook. And, you know, and again, I just I put out a chart on Twitter this morning. You know, G, uh, Goldman Sachs is still expecting 3% growth in the second quarter. And we've got the Atlanta Fed right now talking about 09 So, you know, I I think Wall Street is going to be, you know, much more surprised about where we wind up. And again, even through the end of this year, growth rates are expected to be, you know, Goldman Sachs is very high growth rates for the economy. Um, But if you look at where we're trending currently, you know, it it is certainly heading in the wrong direction. And, And again, the longer that inflation remains high, which you know, at this point, it's going to remain high for a while. These things aren't going to fix themselves overnight. Um, you know, this is going to continue to erode into consumer spending. And then, of course, the next thing that occurs that nobody's talking about is that at what point do companies start laying off workers? We've already seen hiring freezes picking up. But when do they start cutting wages and, and laying off workers to protect profit margins? Right. I mean, that's, you know, and then that makes it even harder for consumption, uh, consumptive spending to stay up. Um, as we get further in. So, I mean, so there's really not a whole lot of upside here over the next several months, particularly now we can shift now we can shift gears to the Fed here real quick, particularly with the Fed now looking to hike rates by 50 points next Wednesday, reducing their balance sheet by 60 billion this month and then increasing that to 90 billion a month by August. You know, you're just extracting more liquidity out of the markets, you're, you know, and, and increasing cost, borrowing costs for consumers really kind of across the board. There doesn't really seem to be a lot of upside here. No. And, and if you remember, first quarter GDP was negative. If we get a negative print in the second quarter, which will come out uh, a little more than a month from now, that's a recession. Mm-hmm. So so what's funny is I get a lot of people on Twitter saying uh, we're not going into a recession. There's not going to be a recession. The consumer's doing great. Well, the Atlanta Fed thinks that economic growth right now, based on the data they have, is 0.9 percent for the second mm-hmm. quarter. And what we've seen from Target's a great example. Target warned us less than a month ago that they are having inventory problems. They have too much inventory that their margins are getting cut. This was literally three weeks ago. They came back uh, yesterday or two days ago and made those warnings even harsher. So something happened over the last three weeks that their inventories rose further, that their margins are gonna get cut more. That's because the the economic activity, especially for those lower middle-class retailers, Target, Walmart, which again, that's what drives the economy. Mm -hmm. It's It's not the high end 
the Rolls Royces, the Tiffany's that are driving the economy. It's the it's where we go to go food shopping and to buy those essential items. They're the ones that are getting hit. And Target could not be more clear that there are problems. Yeah. And again, it's not just Target. You know, it's Amazon talking about too much inventory, too much staff. Right. Walmart, too much staff, too much inventory. And it's not just inventory at, at those retailers. If we take a look at inventories for uh, building supplies and, and retailers across the board in terms of clothing, apparel, et cetera, all those inventories have risen markedly. About the only thing that has a, a reduction in inventory is used cars. Because those are getting those had gotten sold off and prices were, were very high and the, and now the car the replacement uh, you know, people can't sell their cars because if I sell a car, I can't buy a new one. And so they're, everybody's starting to hang on to cars, which is keeping inventories lean on on used cars. But, you know, that's about the only area where we're not seeing inventory starting to creep back up and, and not just a little bit, but actually creep up pretty sharply uh, right. into an oversupply status. Of course, that's deflationary because how do I get rid of inventory? I've got to start discounting stuff. So, you know, if I go to Target in the next few months, I may find some great sales and some stuff here sooner than later. But that's disinflationary in and of itself. And the housing market is really starting to turn around. Believe it or not, there's a house in my neighborhood that's been on the market for two months now. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's a nice house. And it's haunted. I wouldn't say the price is fair, but it's. You know, but it's what it should be. <laughs> all, all, all those houses where you live are like 100 years old. So, you know, they're all haunted. <laughs> They're all haunted. This one's not haunted, it says. Uh, it no, says, no, but the housing market. It claims it's not haunted. <laughs> we'll see. You can see, you can see the housing market is certainly changing. And yeah. according to the University of Michigan, it's the worst time to buy a house ever. Yeah. That's based on survey of potential home buyers. Yeah, and this is and this and this is an interesting point here. Um, you know, when we take a look, so when we go to live right now, the average person, and look, we've heard this argument over the years repeatedly. So, you know, you know, when when we get these CPI reports, people always are, are always upset because like, well, you haven't gone to the grocery store lately. You haven't paid for gas lately. Well, food and gas, A, we strip that out of CPI to get to core, right? Core CPI. But more importantly, energy is a very small weight relative to the other components of CPI. Housing, as an example, homeowner's equivalent rent, is, makes up more than a quarter of the CPI calculation, right? So if housing prices are coming down, oil prices could literally stay where they are or even go higher. And we could see inflation come down if housing prices come down and homeowners equivalent rent follows suit. Now, it's going to take a few months to filter through. But, Mike, if you're right about housing prices starting to come down, affordability coming down, those type of things, we could see an impact into CPI even though oil prices remain high. And that's going to be, you know, consternating to a lot of individuals going, I, I can't make ends meet because I'm spending all my money on gas, but CPI says it's coming down. Right. Right. And, you know, the problem has been twofold. It's mortgage rates that are five and a half percent and house prices that haven't turned around. Mm -hmm. So this is 15 to 18 percent of the economy revolves around real estate. So it's not just that two thirds of the economy is the consumer. But within that somewhere is that 15 to 20 percent is real estate that is almost due to crack. Yeah, it, it's completely unsustainable. Exactly. All right, Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back tomorrow. Financial Fitness Friday. Of course, we have the CPI report out tomorrow. 
We'll have our newsletter. We'll cover what the markets did this week. If they do anything, <laughs> that'll be in the newsletter this weekend. Our daily commentary is out this morning. Uh, lots of good points in there from the consumer, consumer spending, Janet Yellen, uh, what the market did yesterday. Uh, simply go to our website, click on the daily commentary banner right there on the front page. Get our latest daily commentary. Subscribe to get it sent to you by email before the market. And also check out Simplevisor, our digital platform. We have all our new portfolios are up. Just simply go to our investing tab. Do it yourself. You can see all our portfolios we have available for you on our digital front as well. Lots of stuff at the website. As always, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, send your questions and comments, realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world. It's a rich man's world.